I also have PCOS. So I was one of those women who went undiagnosed for about 15 years and I suffered with the symptoms, but nobody really ever put it together for me. And so I was sent, you know, to the dermatologist and given antibiotics for my acne and really did not even know what was going on with my case. So I'm really passionate about helping other women because the earlier that you can get started on treating PCOS, it's so much better. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Now, I don't normally do this, but last month I received an email from a young woman named Mary. And let me tell you, I love getting emails from you. Now, Mary had reached out to share with me a major health discovery she made after years of going to doctors without having an answer. She finally figured out and got an official diagnosis for insulin-resistant polycystic ovarian syndrome, also known as PCOS. Now, with Mary's permission, I'm going to share what she wrote to me that day. Dear Dr. Marisa, I needed to reach out and tell you this. Since I was 20 years old, I knew that something was wrong with my body and my periods. But doctor after doctor, I was told to just go on birth control. And I cried every time because the pill made me feel so crazy. I was putting on weight and my acne was getting worse. And I had been trying to figure out what was going on with me when I heard your episode on the four types of PCOS a couple weeks ago, and I immediately ran to my doctor and asked for the specific tests, including the insulin resistance test. We got the results back, and it was clear, and I knew it, that I was insulin resistant PCOS. My doctor didn't even know that there were multiple types of PCOS and was grateful to me for telling them. Now I know what is finally going on with my body and I know that I have solutions. I am starting your 14 day hormone detox next week. I am ready to feel better faster and I know I can rely on you as a resource. Thank you. I decided to share Mary's story today with you because I've been Mary. Shopping for the right doctor, struggling to get the right answers, looking for a root cause, and just getting the runaround. I have doubted myself. I have blamed myself. I have felt like giving up. And I have cried because I knew that birth control wasn't a solution for my chronic fatigue. And I'm here to tell you that you are not alone on this journey. I am dedicated to finding the answer and bringing on true experts who can provide a path so that you are feeling not only like your body is working for you, but that you're getting back to living your dreams. Mary isn't the only woman that has reached out to me about PCOS since my four types of PCOS episode aired in early October. And by the way, it was episode 132 in case you missed it and want to go back to listen. Because I've continued to receive a lot of questions and stories like Mary's story today, I decided to invite a dear friend of mine to the show to shed more light on the root causes of PCOS, along with viable solutions to insulin resistance, weight gain, acne, and hair loss, just to name a few. Because I know 
There are so many women dealing with some or all of those concerns. Now, if you're wondering why I've spent a little bit more time on this topic over the last couple of months, it's this. PCOS is one of the most common endocrine disorders found in women. It's estimated that one in seven women in the United States have PCOS, and only about 50% of them even know they have it, just like Mary. The syndrome is present throughout a woman's life from puberty through postmenopause, and it affects women of all races and ethnic groups. It does not discriminate. Women with PCOS wrestle with an array of possible symptoms. Far-reaching health implications such as increased cardiovascular disease and diabetes make these already stressful symptoms even more daunting. It's important to understand that PCOS is a set of symptoms and the primary key symptom is a failure to ovulate regularly. Now, before I welcome Dr. Fiona to speak about root causes for PCOS today, I want to just take a moment and epically thank you for not only sharing these episodes with the women in your life, but also reaching out to people that you think could be helped by this episode, by these episodes, because by you sharing this message, by you getting this out there to someone who you think could benefit from this or just sharing it in general, you are changing women's lives. You are a change agent. Every day I hear from new listeners who are recommended by you. One such listener is Sandra from San Antonio, Texas. She reached out to me on Facebook just a couple weeks ago. Here's what she had to say. Dr. Marisa, I owe one of my best friends so much. Her name is Michelle for tagging me on one of your podcast posts. It was literally on the issue I was so desperate to solve, which was adrenal fatigue or so I thought. You helped me to finally understand what was going on with me. I had no idea that in two weeks I could feel so much more energized. I am sold. Keep it up and I'm telling all of my friends and they are gonna owe me. Well, thank you so much for sharing your win, Sandra. I am so happy to shout you out today. As a person who has struggled with chronic fatigue, I hear you. I know that struggle and I know that place of desperately looking for a solution. So if you're listening today, I would love to gift you a signed copy of my Essential Oil Hormone Solution book, Sandra, with a personal note from me. Just reach out to me on Facebook, where you found me originally, or on Instagram, at Dr. Marisa, and I will get the book sent out to you ASAP. Now, if you are listening, well, number one, welcome to the show, especially if this is your first episode. This podcast is all about empowerment because I believe when women are armed with knowledge, they are unstoppable. Now, if any episode has served you in any capacity, even today, I would love to shout you out. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or by simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast you love to plug into. That way, not only can I continue to support you because I know what you need, I also can support even more women who are looking to become the CEO of their health. Now let's welcome Dr. Fiona McCulloch. But before we do that, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Fiona McCulloch is a naturopathic doctor and the founder of White Lotus Integrative Medicine in Toronto, Canada, an urban wellness clinic serving thousands of women with hormonal conditions since 2001. Dr. Fiona's book, Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS offers her well-researched methods for natural treatment of polycystic ovarian syndrome. And this book is amazing. 
Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Fiona McCulloch. How are you doing today, girl? I'm doing great, Dr. Marisa. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I am so, so happy. I feel like this has been such a long-awaited conversation. Not that we haven't talked a lot over the last several months, but just to get you here, it's been such a wonderful journey to have you here. And we are talking about an area of focus that I've been focusing on a lot on the podcast because I feel like there's so much misinformation about it. And you are one of my go-to doctors and experts, and that is PCOS. And most specifically, I know women come to me every day regarding hair loss, regarding acne, regarding weight gain, regarding all kinds of issues, mood issues that happen with PCOS. And Oftentimes, they are showing up with these symptoms and don't even know or haven't been diagnosed with PCOS. And oftentimes, in those instances, they're put on birth control. And so what I want to do is I want to just clear the air about how we can get well and how we can get diagnosed, but then also, you know, what are some solutions we can use to manage some of these symptoms in the process of getting better? Now, before we get into all of that. Girl, we got so much to talk about. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what has inspired you to be on this beautiful passion, helping women with PCOS. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a naturopathic doctor and I also have PCOS. So I was one of those women who went undiagnosed for about 15 years and I suffered with the symptoms. So I had irregular periods. I had cystic acne and I had hair loss which are all very classical symptoms of PCOS, but nobody really ever put it together for me. And so I was sent you know, to the dermatologist and given antibiotics for my acne. Nobody really ever asked me about my menstrual cycles and I never really thought to bring it up. And so I kind of went you know, along for many years this way and just struggling and suffering. I had a lot of like inflammation in my body, abdominal fat, and really did not even know what was going on with my case. So I'm really passionate about helping other women because the earlier that you can get started on treating PCOS, it's so much better. You can prevent many years of suffering. A lot of the symptoms can be reversed. And, you know, even though it's super common, you know, there's there's uh, stats out now saying that it's even possibly one in five women have this, but definitely one in 10 for something that common, so little is shared in the conventional medical community, and there's still a lot of misunderstanding. So I just think with something that is so common and that causes so many risks, we really just need to have more awareness. I absolutely agree. So in the beginning, you said 15 years. When did you finally figure it out? Like, was there an aha moment? Was there a specific person? Or did you finally just rule things out? Because I know that the average woman, as they're going through their diagnosis journey, can it can take five to 12 years. And they could see up to like seven plus practitioners. When was that defining moment for you? Yeah, so it was actually after I had finished naturopathic college. And I'd been sort of putting the pieces together, learning more about different hormonal conditions. So I went to my doctor and I asked for some lab tests and she ordered them. And I'd also had a pelvic ultrasound around that time. And they did find many of the the multiple small follicles that are classic of PCOS. And then when I got my lab work back, I also had high androgens. So hormones like testosterone and LH. And so that was really the final moment where I knew that's what this was all along. So from that point onward, I just became more and more interested in studying hormones and learning about all the different facets of PCOS. So 
yeah, that, that diagnosis was sort of like the beginning of my interest and the beginning of my kind of obsession with learning everything I could about PCOS. Oh my gosh. And you've done such an amazing job at helping to educate people. I take it a lot of your experience and what happened with you and trying to get that diagnosis and trying to figure out what was going on. You finding a lot of women that you're working with. What are some of the things that women have come to you with, you know, finally getting to you? What has that journey looked like for them? Is that, is it very similar to your journey? Yeah, actually very similar. Although I will say now, if you're looking at younger women now, you know, I'm 44 now, so this was quite a long time ago. They are getting a diagnosis earlier. And the other thing I notice now is that lean women are getting identified more often. So, but I do see similar journeys where women don't really know what's going on or what the problem is for many years. I also see a lot who do know that it's PCOS, but really are offered no options except for here's a pamphlet, here's the birth control pill, you know, good luck, you should just lose some weight, you know, which is super frustrating and not really helpful. What are some of the, because I just want to help women in this discovery process, what are some of the conventional treatments for PCOS that women are being offered? The things that, that, I mean, as you know, are just masking the symptoms or not even, not even doing that much. Yeah, absolutely. So if women with PCOS are not trying to get pregnant, then definitely the most common is the birth control pill, like the oral contraceptive pill. There are certain types of pills that are more anti-androgenic, and so those tend to be more popular, like Yaz and Yasmin, but any birth control pill can be often recommended. Metformin is another really popular one. So metformin is is prescribed mostly for the, the insulin resistance of PCOS. In particular, for metabolic issues, weight gain, it's really not a weight loss drug, but it does help with insulin sensitivity. The the other options include anti-androgens, so drugs like spironolactone, and that's actually used to block the effects of testosterone, particularly for hair loss, sometimes for acne, and for hirsutism, which is hair growth on the face. So those are kind of the general category queries for women who are not trying to conceive. And then for women who are trying to conceive, If they're having trouble with ovulation, often they'll recommend a medication uh, called Clomid, which helps to stimulate ovulation, or another one uh, called Femara. So these are more to trigger ovulation and help uh, women with PCOS get pregnant. Mm. What are some of the concerns when it comes to women just putting put on these medications? And I know that some of these medications can absolutely be supportive, but what are some of the concerns that you see? Are are they helping women to heal PCOS or get PCOS into remission? Like, cause I know that PCOS is really just a cluster of symptoms, right? That we're trying to manage. Yeah. So, you know, I am not against medication for anyone who really needs it, but I also think it's really important to understand exactly like what it is that, you know, you're trying to achieve. And is this medication really going to help you with that? So some of them are simply suppressive. So if we look at something like the oral contraceptive pill, that actually just shuts off a woman's hormones, shuts her ovaries down, and replaces those hormones with synthetic versions of hormones. So although this can sometimes, you know, remove some of the more severe androgen type effects, like, 
or minimize or help with those. So acne or hair loss or hirsutism, as soon as you stop the pill, those symptoms will come back. And the periods that the pill induces are not real periods. So it's not really helping, you know, it's definitely not helping with ovulation at all. And with the pill, unfortunately, it has a lot of risks for um, causing more insulin resistance, mood disorders, which women with PCOS are already prone to, and blood clots, which is, you know, so it's it's not a great option, but it, it's definitely got some uh, uses. So yeah, and I think many of the medications are similar. You know, if you look at the anti-androgens, they just lower the testosterone, but you know, they do have side effects and, and risks associated with that. So, and they certainly don't get at the, the cause. Sometimes, you know, in many cases, actually, insulin resistance is a deeper trigger of PCOS. So really that should be addressed with diet or, you know, there's supplements or other natural ways to deal with that. So, you know, when you really work at that deeper level, you get a better overall result rather than just sort of suppressing and replacing. Absolutely. Well, I love so much that that is exactly your focus today is really about root cause medicine, but I wanted to just clear the air about some of those other recommendations, maybe misconceptions and things that women are experiencing just so they have a sense of what the difference is. And so when you're talking about root cause medicine and you're talking about, let's say, probably one of the most common types of PCOS is is insulin resistant driven PCOS. And let's be honest, your hormones don't become imbalanced for no reason. So if insulin is imbalanced or something causing your insulin levels to go off as well. So let's talk a little bit about insulin resistance. I know that that's a big part in the weight gain, what we can do to get to the root cause of what's going on with insulin. Are there specific tests that we should be looking at in that direction as well? Cue us into looking at this deeper seated issue. Yeah, absolutely. So insulin resistance is kind of a special interest of mine. And I've been studying it um, for a long time in the patients at the clinic I run. So we have four naturopathic doctors, and we run a lot of testing of people's insulin levels. And in particular, we run a test called the insulin glucose challenge. So what we're doing is giving people 75 grams of glucose and measuring their insulin responses to that. So it's very interesting. And what you'll see is massively different responses. And in particular, women with PCOS tend to have extremely high insulin responses to, you know, the same amount of sugar that someone else of the same weight, you know, they wouldn't have that same level of insulin production. So we see that there is definitely a difference there. It's sort of a, a combination, like chicken and egg situation, where the androgen excess that's in PCOS, so too much testosterone, actually triggers insulin resistance. But the development of the insulin resistance is kind of interesting because at puberty, what happens is we gain weight. This is a natural process so that we can have babies. So all women become a little bit insulin resistant as they go through the beginnings of puberty. And that weight gain tends to go around the midsection. It's been found that when a woman is exposed to high testosterone levels, that does increase impulsivity and appetite. And there can be more binging and overeating. And in that situation, it's very easy to gain a lot of abdominal fat. And by the way, also the testosterone makes women gain weight more around the stomach. Once the weight has been gained there or fatty liver, then what happens is we start developing insulin resistance. And that all generally comes from the liver. And, you know, it's a, it's a vicious cycle because the more insulin resistant you are, the more you store fat because high levels of insulin block us from breaking fat down. 
And then our blood sugar goes on a roller coaster in addition to that, because high levels of insulin can cause that to happen too. So it's a cycle where, you know, it starts and it just gets worse and worse unless you start to try to reverse that. And the best way to reverse insulin resistance is actually by changing diet, but also, you know, things like exercise and sleep and stress reduction and all those great basic things. That's the best way to do this. And, you know, we know from working with lots and lots of patients that it can actually be reversed. And we're just learning more and more about this all the time. So it's a really interesting topic. It is such an interesting topic. Like you said, women just have a much lower threshold for that insulin sensitivity. How do how would you go about starting? Let's say you run the test, someone, the, the patient is diagnosed with PCOS, right? She meets all those criteria, at least two of the three criteria. And then you realize after you run the test for insulin resistance that, that it's definitely being driven by an insulin resistant issue. Where do we begin? Clearly diet and lifestyle is huge, but what are some other pieces that we want to look at when we're, we're looking at this puzzle? I'll look and see as well, you know, does the person have hypoglycemia during the response? So if they have that, then I know that balancing their blood sugar is going to be a big part of things. So yeah, with respect to the diet, you know, we offer intermittent fasting and, you know, kind of high fat, low carbish diets, but cycle throughout the day, exercise, particularly exercising strength training for the lower part of the body has been shown to be very helpful for insulin resistance, getting proper sleep and circadian rhythm. So making sure all the blue lights, you know, those are are not in going into our eyes at night. So screens, making sure those you have the apps like Flux and the phone. So I love doing all, you know, offering all those types of, of tips because I do find if you, you know, do all of these together, it makes a huge difference. And then there's also supplements. So there's inositol, which is, you know, one of the most studied supplements for PCOS, and it mostly works through helping insulin sensitivity. But there's so many great supplements as well. Hmm. I love inoxitol for stabilizing insulin levels in general. I'm actually because of my Hajimoto's and my autoimmune condition and just helping to support overall. I take it with choline every single day. Even I find that even women who aren't even dealing necessarily with with PCOS like symptoms, they just want to be really mindful of of any type of insulin concerns. You know, it's just hard to. I mean, I'm I'm really really good at not eating sugar. I mean, any processed sugar, that's for sure. But especially if you're looking to get pregnant, especially if you're trying to, if you want to, you know, stay fertile, we know that insulin resistance throws off, clearly throws off our periods and creates period irregularities. And so that's one of the things that I I love. I mean, not everyone's going to need it, but it's just something to consider. I love these recommendations. I want to steer us over. I know the big, the big topics. One, women are always trying to figure out why am I even losing my hair? What is going on? And I know there's a couple of different things that happen when women are losing their hair. I mean, it's the worst thing. And I know you experienced it personally. And it was the one thing I didn't actually experience. Girl, you know how much hair I got. I got so much hair. Oh, and- yeah. Yep. You are blessed. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got diagnosed with Hajimoto's, one of those symptoms too is hair loss or brittle hair. And I was really blessed that that wasn't one of my symptoms. But I know for so many women, depending on whatever hormone irregularity they're dealing with, 
hair loss is a part of that. So talk to me not only about, I know you talked a little bit about your story, but I mean, I know that you've gotten your hair back. What are some things that you recommend? I can imagine when women come to you, they're just desperate to figure out how to get their hair back. Oh my gosh. Yes. I get, uh, actually, I get, I get a lot of patients coming to my clinic with hair loss. Like it's, it's quite a large percentage actually. And it is super stressful. I've experienced it several times, you know, and I've had struggles with it. It's doing fairly good, but at the same time, I totally know it's a very anxiety-provoking condition because you don't know when it's going to stop. And, and that's really the concern. It's like, if you know it's going to stop, then you feel kind of okay about it, but it's just sort of not knowing. With hair loss, I always think of hair this way. It's very much like a luxury for your body. It's something that our body puts there and donates energy to when it has extra energy to do so. And obviously hair is more important in youth, but I've been reading some research on, it's really interesting on hair loss saying that as we age, hair loss is actually metabolic conservation. So it's our body basically trying to conserve energy by getting rid of the hair. 40 to 60% of women experience hair loss. So it's a pretty huge percentage. And there's so many different factors. So it's very multifactorial. So in some cases, hair loss can be related to androgen excess, which is, you know, from PCOS. That kind of hair loss tends to start much younger. So in the 20s, and it's progressive and kind of slow and gradual. There are many other types of hair loss that women experience. In particular, there's something called telogen effluvium. And this is super common. It's the kind of hair loss that women experience, for example, if their iron goes down or if they have a lot of stress or if they have major hormone changes. So at perimenopause, that can happen. Nutritional deficiencies. And another huge one is weight loss that can trigger that off, especially um, kind of losing weight fairly quickly, especially if you have other stress at the time. That hair loss tends to happen three to four months after the stressor and it actually is quite sudden. So it's like a whole bunch of hair really falls out all at the same time. And it tends to be all over the head, but also especially by the temples and above the ear, you'll see it there. The other kind of hair loss I was mentioning first is more the top of the head and it's the part widening. So that's generally what you'll see with some oily, oily scalp or dandruff is very common with that too. Those are like very, very common thyroid hair loss is somewhat more like a telogen effluvium, but there can be changes in the texture of the hair and then that shedding, you know, towards the side and the eyebrows, the lateral outside of the eyebrows can actually fall out too. Mm -hmm. I lost my eyebrows. Yeah. My mom used to always call me Casper. Like really? <laughs> oh, little girl. I, well, I just, I remember 12 or 11. I was, I was so afraid I was going to get bushy eyebrows. I don't know what it was. Like, I don't, I don't know why this mattered to me. So I plucked my eyebrows really thin when I was a little girl and my mom used to always call me Casper. And then about a year, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, the outer third of my eyelash, I, and I didn't really notice at first because they'd always been so thin, but then they had shortened. And I, and that was one of the telltale signs for me that I had Hajimoto's or low thyroid function. Um, so that I did lose. And did it grow back? Um, eh, ish. I mean, you know, they were so thin to begin with. I use, I'm not going to pretend like I don't use like a little pencil and get my eyebrows back because I absolutely do in of those course, instances. Yes. Okay. So now that we know the different types of hair loss, and I think so many women can absolutely, if they're dealing with hair loss, give them a sense of where they should focus their efforts. But I do want to bring it on back. Let's say it is PCOS driven hair loss. What is it that we can do 
So for PCOS-driven hair loss, the big thing really is to deal with the androgen excess. That is really what's driving a lot of it. So what we'd want to use is anti-testosterone types of treatments. So in my practice, I use medicinal herbs for that. So peony, licorice, these are common ones. Ganoderma, reishi, mushroom is another one we use a lot. Rosemary, mint, so spearmint and peppermint. So there's so many great anti-androgens. And I know there are some oils too. I have a hair blend that we use that we've seen such great results with. I actually use it in my hair every single day because not only because it's, you know, with big curly hair like mine, I still want softer curls. I want manageable curls and my little blend. I'm sure it's helping. I know it's helping with hair growth as well. My hair grows like insanity. It grows so fast, but, and I don't have a hair growth issue or anything like that, but I have women who are using this blend and it's rosemary, peppermint, geranium, and lavender. And I just, I love that. And I have it pre-made in my showers and I add it. You can do it literally direct to the scalp. And it's great when your scalp is wet because mm-hmm. your pro- your pores are more open and you just really rub it in. Um, you can leave it in for the 10 minutes while you're showering. I don't know if people take 10 minute showers, but I do. <laughs> Even 10 minutes while you're showering. Or you can do a leave-in as well. You can do like a coconut mask with them. I usually do two to three drops in my conditioner. I really get it in there, let it set, and then wash it out. So I don't know if you had other strategies and techniques. I mean, clearly, it's just one of the many things you can be doing, but I feel like every little bit helps, you know? Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's, you know what? That's a great way to do it. Usually what I, I think I'm going to actually try that myself. But the way I usually suggest is for people to do the, you know, when I suggest oils, usually I'll, I'll suggest rosemary oil and that them to apply that before showering, you know, because it, I find it's very, especially if you have finer hair, it can be too oily and a jojoba carrier. But I love the idea of doing it in the shower because it's so true. The delivery is so much better when, you know, there's heat and water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bridget, who um, really experimented with this, a dear friend of ours, Bridget Danner, who's been on the show before, she's a hormone detox expert, but she had had, lo- had hair loss or had thin- her hair had thinned out. So she just committed to three months of doing this. I believe she was using rosemary, peppermint, and geranium. And she was committed and it, her hair did get thicker. It got, it was more robust. And she was like, heck yes. And it, and it, by the way, it smells good, which is so nice. Both, all those oils are so invigorating peppermint and, and rosemary, they wake you up. They literally wake you up in the morning. They're focus and energy boosters. And so it's like a win-win. So I always breathe it in my palms first and like enjoy that moment to myself. And then I viciously rub it into myself. (laughs) I love it. And like, it's super interesting because I recently wrote an article about, they, they did a study on the microbiome of the hair follicle. So inside, you know, it's the first study ever. And they found that patients who had hair loss from too much testosterone had a different microbiome inside the hair follicle, which was more similar to acne bacteria, which was very inflammatory. And so these, I always wonder, you know, many of these anti-androgenic oils are also, you know, great for getting rid of fungus and infections. So we're looking at like rosemary, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's so helpful. So great as an antiseptic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably helping the microbiome as well. Totally. 
Absolutely. And geranium, you're talking about acne and I mean, mind you, there's so many wonderful ways to help manage acne, but geranium is a great oil, not only for inflamed, inflamed skin, but it's also phenomenal for managing oily skin. So geranium is one of those oils that's phenomenal for acne. And I recommend it all the time. You just have to be really mindful how you use it, but it can be, so no, no doubt that it's helping with the microbiome on the head as well because it has those properties. That's probably why it does so well with the hair. And people, like the one thing I get all the time with people using geranium is that their hair is just softer, it's less brittle, it just feels different. That's the reason why I was like, oh, sign me up for this geranium. I want some of that. So I love that. That is so cool. I'm going to try that. Yeah. I want to know how it goes, girl. But yeah, it was, I know. And there's a lot of interesting research articles right now looking at rosemary and peppermint specifically as a hair loss remedy. And they have beat out a lot of the synthetic hair loss remedies without any harmful side effects. I do want to tell people to just be mindful, you know, anytime you're using anything, you know, just, just try it out, but be consistent as well. You know, just doing this once every couple of weeks, isn't going to get the job done. You've got to be consistent with your supplements. You got to be consistent with your diet. You got to be consistent with your oils. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not about missing a day here or there, but it's about what you do for a long time. That really matters. That consistency, you know, 95% of the time, that's when you're really going to get results. Absolutely. Let's steer towards acne. Talk to me a little bit about, this is absolutely a concern for women who are dealing with irregular menstrual cycles or even regular menstrual cycles, but especially with PCOS. Tell me a little bit about what you have learned in helping women to resolve their acne issues. Acne is kind of a unique condition because the androgen access is kind of a factor in there, but there's many women that have a lot of high testosterone that don't have acne. So there's certain differences in women who get acne versus women who don't. And what I've noticed is that there's definitely a weakened immune component and an inflammatory component. So those are very strong in women that get acne. And acne is really mediated by something called IGF-1, which is an inflammatory mediator. And it really perpetuates all the inflammation inside you know, the acne cyst. And acne bacteria themselves, they secrete a lot of inflammatory fatty acids. So they just make the whole situation a lot worse. One of the interesting things is that one of the biggest triggers of IGF-1 is actually dairy protein. And this is why so many patients do so much better when they cut dairy out of their diet for acne. You know, it's just such a huge trigger. So milk and Greek yogurt and all of that, just one thing to try is take that all out and many people will see a massive improvement. I love that. So dairy gone. Are there other foods that we should be thinking about? I call them hormone sabotaging foods that we should even consider. I mean, dairy is definitely out. Dairy has been out for me for quite some time. So should we be thinking, I mean, clearly sugar girl, right? We got to, we got to kick the sugar to the curb. There's a big one here and sugar can absolutely lead to more acne too. I had a good friend of mine who she didn't have PCOS, but anytime she ate sugar, she broke out all around her chin and lower mouth. And we, and she knew it's like, that was going to be the thing that was going to be the result of her getting back into sugar. So it was always kind of that reminder of like, uh Oh, like I need to back off. And then I take it gluten is probably on that list as well for, for gut inflammatory issues. Yeah, definitely. And like sugar is a huge trigger also of IGF-1. So that's kind of how sugar really is a huge problem. So it just directly triggers that kind of inflammation that's really bad for acne. 
you know, that's a huge problem. Gluten is, can be a problem, especially if people have autoimmunity and leaky gut, you know, intestinal permeability, it can add into the bucket of inflammation. It really depends on the person. Some people can have a little and they're fine, but you know, those are, are really, you know, looking at the foods, those are the worst. So any kind of packaged processed foods that's, you know, really high in carbs and sugar, it's all going to trigger IGF-1. The other thing I always tell people to be careful of is bad oils. So for example, vegetable oils, like very poor quality, you know, canola oil, oils like that are very inflammatory. They're polyunsaturated oils, which means they're very delicate types of oils. And the way that they're processed, they don't really protect the oil from something called oxidation. So many of those oils have high levels of oxidation, and this actually causes inflammation and damage to our cells. So I tell a lot of people, you know, look up for sugar, but also look and make sure that, you know, you're not adding poor quality corn oil to your frying pan, you know, and heating that up because that's definitely very toxic and not very good um, if you have any kind of skin condition, but especially acne. Even olive oil, you have to be really mindful of depending on the type of olive oil you're getting your hands on. And I know we are so careful with the kind of olive oil we're getting, the kind of organic avocado oil that we're getting. I mean, oil, choosing oils for what we can eat, consume and eat is such an important part. The last thing we want to do is drive up that inflammation with the wrong kind of oils. I just love that that's such a great recommendation. Fiona, you have given us so much to consider, not only in the, the journey towards diagnosis, but also what to be looking out for when it comes to conventional medicine, but then really getting to the root cause along with addressing the symptoms. Because let's be honest, in that root cause journey, we also want to start clearing those symptoms. And so, I so I'm so grateful that you've kind of given us this full circle approach to addressing PCOS. But here's the deal, this is what I know to be true, is that so many women still have no idea that they have polycystic ovarian syndrome. We know, you know, 50% of women out there, a, a percentage of, what is it, 13% of women around the world? What is the percentage of women around the world? They're saying now they believe the, that it's one in five, but one definitely five. one in 10. Oh my goodness. So, and, and half of those women have no idea I know that there are women listening right now who are starting to see the pieces come together and starting to think to themselves, huh, is this me or is this my mom or is this my sister or my gosh, is it my best friend? Like starting to kind of put the pieces together. You have got a really awesome gift that I'm so excited to share and that is your PCOS quiz. Is this figuring out if you've got PCOS or what the next steps are? Tell me a little bit about this. This is really about knowing what to focus on in treating PCOS because PCOS is so multifactorial. There's so, you know, there's potentially problems with ovulation. Some women have that and some don't. So it's really identifying the specific almost type of PCOS that you have. And that can actually change at different times in life. And then when you know what type you have, you know which treatments are going to be the most effective for you. Absolutely. Well, you and I both know that not all treatments work for all types of PCOS. And that's why this whole standard conventional treatment option isn't even addressing what particular type of PCOS. I can't tell you how many aha moments I have with women who are like, wait, what? There are types of PCOS? I'm like, yeah. And I wonder if your doctor knows anything about that. So I'm so grateful that you create, I mean, let's real talk, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's why I'm so grateful that you've created this because let's get clarity. Dr. Fiona, honey, where else can we plug in to find you? 
So you can find me on my website at drfionand.com. I have a clinic in Toronto at whitelotusclinic.ca and I'm on Instagram at drfionand. Yay. Awesome. I want to say, oh my gosh, thank you, girl. You brought the business today and given us so much to consider. I'm so grateful that you came on and, and gave us some time. And I just want to say just thank you. Oh, and thank you, Dr. Marisa. It's so great to be on your show. I love, love the tips on the oils. So thank you for sharing and just always sharing your amazing knowledge with everyone. Oh my gosh, ditto. You have a wonderful day, honey. You too. Fiona and I go back several years and I have always been in awe and loved her real talk about PCOS and her passion to help thousands of women finally get the diagnosis that they have been seeking. Fiona's book is a definitive guide for PCOS. It is so well-researched. There's so many methods and tailored solutions to get your body back on track. But I also highly recommend taking a look at her quiz to find out, one, if you've got PCOS. Again, 50% of women don't even know that they have it. And then it's important to figure out what type you've got so that she can create a treatment protocol for you. Now to get the book and to get the quiz, I'm going to have it in my show notes for episode 142 or on my website at drmarisa.com slash podcast. And I want to thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. On this next episode coming up, I'm bringing on an influencer, Arielle Laurie, to not only share her story, truly a story worth sharing when it comes to healing, but also how to give ourselves grace during our biggest healing struggles. I don't know about you, but there were times where I didn't give myself a lot of grace in my healing journey, and it was the one thing that I so desperately needed. So if it resonates, definitely show up for this next episode. Until then, have an amazing day. 